Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and all other creatures. I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. This week, Tim is bringing us insights from Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 to 20, or maybe a little extra because you're listening to First Reading Podcast. (laughs) This is the text for February 16th, um, and it's a pretty famous text. If you've uh, spent any time in Deuteronomy, it's probably one that's a little bit familiar to you. Uh, What should people know about the context of this text? Yeah, so this this is a famous text. It's the, you know, see I place before you life and death, now choose life that you may live. In context, this is coming near the end of Deuteronomy. So if you were a preacher who was going to preach on this text, how much of the Moses background story would you give to kind of help bring people along to be able to hear this point? Yeah, that's a good question. I think you don't want to have to necessarily go back and tell the whole sort of Exodus story. But you, it would be helpful to sort of place where, they, where they're at in that story. So, you know, maybe saying that God had brought the people out of Egypt. They'd wandered in the wilderness for a generation, and now they were there poised to enter into the promised land. That kind of brings you up to speed yeah. to, to where you're at. Nice. This reminds me so much. I'm having flashbacks to when I'm taking my kids anywhere. And before we get there, I'm like, okay, now, do we walk on other people's furniture? All right. (laughs) What do we do if we have to go to the bathroom? You know, all the very important things you just really want them to know before you let them go. Before we go in. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you remember this. Exactly. And this is kind of, this passage itself is right near the end of those things. In fact, this is coming right after uh, Moses has told all of the blessings and curses for keeping the commandments or disobeying the commandments. Well, how about the Hebrew? Is there anything important to know about the Hebrew of this text? Yeah, there's a couple things that come to mind. So if you look back at uh, a few verses earlier, kind of looking here at 11 through 14, Moses is saying that the, the, the Torah that he's presenting to them is not something that is inaccessible to them. It's not something that they haven't heard of, that's some cryptic thing that's far away. Uh, They don't need somebody to go and get it, but this is an instruction for how to live their lives together as a people. That's very close to them. That's right there for them. And in verse 14, he says, the thing is very close to you in your mouth and in your heart to do it. Mm. Mm. Uh, Which is body language. I know that's your (laughs) area of expertise here, Rachel. (laughs) So so what would you say then about the the instructions of God being in their mouths and in their hearts? Yeah, it's such a great question. Mouth and heart, um, so P and lave or lavav are two really often used body images. Um, the mouth is a really important one in multiple ways, in part because it's the thing, like in, if you're in the Psalms, it's the things that the enemy does. It's the the most dangerous organ of the enemy is not their hand, which, you know, you would think violence, but it's their mouth. It's what comes out of the mouth either poisons or in some way represents everything that is inside the person. So to have something in your mouth is not just about speaking it. What your mouth does affects or reflects everything else that's inside your body. Hmm. And then the lave, you know, the heart, was not only the emotional organ, it was equally the intellectual organ. In fact, it's kind of my pet theory that the Hebrews wouldn't have thought of thinking and feeling as two opposite things. They were along the same continuum. It was the same action. 
So here God is talking about it is inside the deepest core of you and it is in the thing that reflects the deepest core to the outside world. Mm-hmm. Here it says the the instruction is the thing, the word is in your heart, la soto, to do it. So this aspect of the heart is the the sort of willing, active doing part of of the heart. So it's it's accessible not only to recognize what it is, but it's accessible to live out. And so I think that's what's going on in the couple places in our lectionary text where it uses the the word ahava, love. And in this context, in the context of the covenant that Moses has presented to them, loving God, while of course uh, love can have that sort of emotional quality to it, here it's a very practical expression of love because it's loving God to keep the commands and the statutes and to walk in God's ways. That's the way that uh, this people would be able to express their, their love to God. And especially in sort of Deuteronomistic perspective, as we're looking at the book of Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. it's showing exclusive devotion to God in worship and not bowing down to the gods of any of the peoples in the land to which they were about to enter. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about the word love in that way, especially because we use it in a Christian context, but not really in that way. We use it in a much more emotive way. You know, you think about the Christian songs that I loved as a camp counselor, which talked about love the Lord your God with all your heart. And, you know, anytime Mm -hmm, that word mm -hmm. love came up, I thought of it as, well, that's the emotional piece. But you use the word practical. Um, You could also use the word almost legalistic, that this is a, a, a legal portion of their relationship with God. Is is that the way to think about this here, or are there some pitfalls that go along with that? Yeah, right. It's sort of a yes and no type yeah. of answer to that question, because in, indeed, love here is a command. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just, uh, don't you feel this, this warm feeling about God? But it's, you're commanded to love God. Mm-hmm. So there is a legal sense of what's going on here, but we do want to be careful with that. So there are a couple of preaching pitfalls that I would bring out related to this. You might be tempted as a preacher to read this and preach it as a command. These are the, the commands that God gave to Israel. And it says, if you do them, you'll live. And if you don't, you'll die. So congregation, do the things. Do it and live. There's one way to preach it. And I would say that's a bit of a pitfall because this approach to this text doesn't take into account the, the contextual nature of this covenant. These weren't presented as universal commands for all of humanity. This was a special arrangement between God and the people of Israel. And on top of that, uh, these folks that scholars call the Deuteronomists because of their connection to this body of material here. Can I say a word about that real quick? Because I think that's a word that we use a lot. So um, the Deuteronomists were not only people who were working with the book of Deuteronomy, but we believe also did some editing of the rest of the Bible, the Hebrew scriptures, to bring them in line with Deuteronomy as well, so that this theology that we find here is interspersed throughout the Bible as well. Mm-hmm. In a way, they were kind of like um, fundamentalists, mm-hmm. uh, if you can take that in the in the nicest way possible. Yeah. <laughs> they had their fundamentals of what were important to them, and they shaped their inherited scriptures in a way so that those fundamentals were really 
easy to pick up. And there's a big reason that they felt so fiercely about those fundamentals, right? Right, right. Because they're living at about, oh, uh, half a millennium, 500 years or so after the setting of this text. Now, at the end of Israel and Judah's monarchy, when they were surrounded as a people by these big world empires and their whole status in the land was on on a razor's edge. I mean, they were they could lose it at any time. And in fact, uh, they continued to write about their experience after Judah fell and they were taken into exile. So the writings of the Deuteronomists were really uh, impacted by this anxiety about their precarious place mm-hmm. in the land or out of the land. Mm-hmm. And you can feel that anxiety in a text like this, which is just saying so emphatically, don't mess this up because you'll lose your place in the land. Now, it feels almost like we're starting to tip towards uh, perhaps even another preaching pitfall, which is to say this is from a different time and a different place and does not apply to our lives. And I seriously doubt that you're going there, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, in the New Testament gospel reading for this week, it was Jesus himself who in, that, in the Sermon on the Mount says that whoever breaks the least of the commands and teaches others to do so will be called least in God's kingdom. Yeah. So this wasn't, Jesus wasn't saying, forget about these laws, forget about the commands. They're not important anymore. Now we're all about grace. No, this, this is important stuff for Jesus too. So we can't just throw this out as if it didn't matter or if it was superseded by grace now. Okay, so they don't overlay exactly onto our lives in a one-to-one correspondence, but at the same time, they shouldn't be thrown out. So how do you, how do you what's your advice for preachers on walking that razor's edge? Gosh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, guys. (laughs) This does take some careful theological thinking, and trying to preach it is is hard. Uh, the, The best advice I can give from where I sit right now would be to take a look at the way that this text in Deuteronomy paints a picture of who God is as a lawgiver, as an instruction giver. When I first read through this text again, I was struck with that sort of ultimatum, you know, I'm setting before you life and death, now choose life as if it's like a threat. But the more I pictured where Moses was in his life and what he had experienced of all of those years of seeing the wonders that God did, as well as the tragedy and trauma of what people experienced when they veered away from the the good that God had for them, that now I sort of picture him here at, at the end of his life as this old, wise sage who just cares so much about this people and wants, before he passes on, to leave them with an admonition to follow in the paths that lead to life. And so it's not coming across as a threat, you know, do this or die. It's uh, a, a plea. Like, this is, the, this is the way that leads to life. Choosing life is the way of wisdom, and the stipulations of the covenant that Moses had given to them were kind of like streetlights along the path that leads to the good life that God had for them. This Torah, this body of instruction, is not in opposition to grace. It is a gift of grace. And I think that's really important, uh, an important way to think about you know, the, the law of the Old Testament is as a gift of instruction for how to organize their life together as a people. The threatening sort of uh, resonance of this 
really goes away when you read this in the context of the whole chapter, that when they would turn from uh, serving other gods and come back to the God of Israel, God's there ready to welcome them back with open arms and to make them even more prosperous in the land than they were before. So the perspective here is not of threat, but always, even, even after uh, making grave mistakes, even after devastating punishments, there's always the invitation to return. And I think that's something that can preach as well, that even though the stakes are presented as really high here, you know, they're life and death, there's still the promise that God will be faithful in spite of our errors and will will bring us back after our mistakes, even even the the significant uh, mistakes with consequences. God's posture here is one of continual welcome. Turn back, try again. There's always forgiveness. There's always a fresh start. Mm. Well, I think that'll preach. Thanks for tackling a, a tougher text for us, Tim. Yeah, it seemed really easy when I started, but the more I read it, it <laughs> just got harder and harder. But hopefully there's there's a bit of a start there. Well, if you liked what you heard, head on over to First Reading Podcast and check out our other episodes. Maybe subscribe so that you never miss a new episode. Next week, we will be having a special guest expert, Dr. Amanda Mbuvi, and we are very excited to talk with her. So tune in next week for one of our long-form episodes with our special guest experts. Until then, I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. Happy preaching. Happy preaching.